I'm Jill Shaw, and this is Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. Lately, we've been hearing and reading quite a bit about how students and families across the country are faring during COVID-19. Locally, particularly here in Boston, nearly all public school students have been at home, learning in a virtual digital environment for nearly a year. Hybrid, virtual, part-time, in-person, it's all very new and it isn't how education usually works. Which makes me wonder about our teachers. While the news and media is covering the teachers' unions, I haven't heard much about or from the teachers themselves. So today's guest is Maria Fenwick, who is the founder and executive director of the Teacher Collaborative. Maria taught in Boston public schools for years and built the Teacher Collaborative to bring teachers everywhere together to learn from and to support one another. We wanted to pick her brain and understand what she has heard from teachers about the past year. Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jill. I'm excited to talk to you. I opened this up by talking about the fact that I've heard a lot about the teachers union perspective on education this year, but I haven't actually had the opportunity to talk to too many teachers. And so we're excited to have you here today to really kind of give us that perspective. This hasn't been an easy year for teachers, really for anyone, but they've really become frontline workers this year. So before we dig into that, you now run an organization that you founded called the Teachers Collaborative. And so, and you were a teacher before that. You probably still think of yourself as a teacher, I would guess, in many ways. And the Shaw Foundation is a supporter of the Teacher Collaborative. So I, I wonder if you could start by just talking about what the Teacher Collaborative is and why you started it. Sure, I'd love to. The Teacher Collaborative is a community for teachers across Massachusetts. And so we are open to teachers from all different schools, whether it's a district school, a charter school, or an independent school. So we really say to teachers, listen, if you want to collaborate with peers who teach what you teach or who teach something different, you know, just want to learn from each other in this really authentic kind of teacher to teacher way, then come check out what we have to offer. So we really um, try to make a, a space for them that is, you know, open and accessible and inclusive. And um, what we what we do once teachers are, are there is we offer, you know, opportunities for them to just talk to one another. So sometimes we do kind of like informal networking stuff, mm -hmm. which is really common in other professions, um, but not so common for teachers. Yeah, and then we also do, um, you know, professional development trainings, things like that. Um, and we're really interested in that teacher to teacher piece. So we focus a lot on helping teachers identify, like, what are you good at, you know, and um, what do you have expertise in that you could share with other teachers so that other teachers and their students and their colleagues and on and on um, can benefit. So we really work hard to uplift um, teachers' voices. And, and what have teachers' response been to this organization? Are they, was there anything like it before or is this really something new? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a really basic idea, right? <laughs> that, that teachers should be able to connect with one another. Um, and interestingly, there wasn't anything really like this. I mean, there are spaces, you know, unions are, are one, um, different, you know, nonprofits or professional organizations that a teacher might join. But a lot of those are, are still relatively siloed. Like you're only in the Boston Teachers Union if you teach in Boston public schools. You're only, you know, in the TFA alumni network if you did TFA. And so right. what we're trying to say is like, this is actually a place for everyone. And everyone's going to bring these different perspectives, you know, together. 
And how much have you grown since, how are you four years old? Oh, yeah. I mean, our origin is like one of those things where it's like, well, is this our founding or is is that our founding? (laughs) But yeah, so we have a little over 2000 teachers, like kind of on our email list. We're touching about 53% of districts across the state of Massachusetts. And, you know, our growth has really been through word of mouth. We don't, you know, our staff is still really small. Uh, We like to refer to ourselves as small, but mighty. Yeah. So, you know, that's been, you know, we, we are grant funded, so we fundraise and we try to show what we're doing and say, Hey, we're onto something here, you know, and we've been really fortunate to have some funders who've said, yeah, let's take a chance on this idea. Um, and so we've kind of grown, you know, it feels rapid to me, <laughs> but I think yeah. we've built a really good foundation, honestly. And I think having the kind of credibility and trust of educators um, is really crucial. And that is through, you have to prove that you have to show like, Hey, come to our stuff. We do a really good job. We're not going to waste your time. (laughs) And so we had to really prove that. Yeah. As you create communities and opportunities for teachers to share their thoughts and ideas, their wants, does, did it look different before COVID-19 than it does today? Or did it truly just amplify issues that were already identified by teachers, but now there were, it was nuanced. How, how has this year played out for teachers? Yeah. I mean, collaboration is on the tip of every teacher's tongue right now. Um, and so we knew that that was essential then. I think mm. it's just come even more to the forefront now. You know, a lot of teachers describe this feeling of, you know, feeling like a first year teacher when this yeah. happened. And um, I know that's not for actual first year teachers don't really love that expression, but you know, it was a moment in time when suddenly teachers had to literally stop and rethink everything. And that's impossible if you if you think you're going to do that by yourself. And so you have to lean on each other. You have to say, Hey, who's, who else can, who can, who's doing this? Who can I help? Who can help me? Who found a good way to do this or that or the other thing? And so you started to see like immediate, like, burst of collaboration and teachers even describe that you know within their schools like you know if I'm an early childhood teacher sometimes they're like well I teach on the first floor I literally never see the two the fifth grade teachers upstairs which sure. is kind of crazy but it's true yeah. but zoom suddenly you know makes that breaks down that barrier and makes those people realize there's stuff that works in fifth grade that works in kindergarten that works in high school mm. and so I think teachers just it was like an immediate kind of like explosion over you know, the need to collaborate. And, um, you know, for our organization, we had actually always done a mix of hybrid and in-person stuff for teachers. Mm -hmm. So for us going all virtual was fairly easy, which was a relief. Yeah. (laughs) But one thing that we did do, well, we did a couple of things differently, but one, we had been talking for years about like, teachers need an online space. And we had been around and around. Do we use an existing platform like Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn? Or do we create something? You know, what's the right thing? And everything had its pluses and minuses. And when COVID hit, we were like, well, (laughs) it's that moment. We got to just, we got to just make this happen. And so we did decide to create a dedicated space using a platform called Mighty Networks. And so we have about 450 teachers on there now. And we just decided to, to give that a try. So that's been something we've been talking about for years. We think, you know, it's something teachers need and want, but COVID yeah. really pushed us to, to do that. To, and, and it's been productive. It has. Yeah. So yeah. what we, what we realized, and this is not surprising to us, um, teachers, 
really value, you know, teacher created resources. And, you know, I don't necessarily mean that teachers are like completely reinventing the wheel and creating stuff, but teachers are often figuring out the little tweaks, the little hacks, the little adjustments that can be made um, that make something really happen. Um, And so what we've done on there, which I think is unique, is we've tapped into some teachers who have certain expertise and we've said, hey, you know, you're good at this. What can you make that's shareable? with your colleagues and we work with them. They give each other feedback. So these are, you know, teacher created resources that are also vetted by other great teachers. And then they, you know, kind of publish them in this workspace. And so teachers get in there, they access them, you know, and and I think what they really love about that is like, it's not another, you know, product or, or blog or something that's going to just be at the wrong kind of like grain size. It's like, that perfect kind of like bite-sized thing, like, hey, I can actually use this. And I know that other teachers, this is real. <laughs> so someone is using this in their classroom yeah. with real kids. And so there's just that like, that perfect kind of level of, of like usability that I think teachers are, are looking for. And so we've populated the space with stuff like that. And so you're coming there not only to find other teachers, but also to access these tools and resources. That's got to be a huge benefit in, in this current, I mean, probably always, but especially in this current situation. Can you help us understand what it's like, like go back to March, April of last year and suddenly, because I think about your comment about it's the teachers think about their work as both art and science and the art piece of it is very hands-on, full body, three-dimensional. I mean, it like your expectation as a teacher is you are inside a classroom with kids feeling, hearing, seeing all of it, right? It's a, it's a really holistic experience. And so suddenly without any warning, we said to teachers here, this, here's this video driven interface that's very flat. Um, and our expectation is that you continue your work here starting now. And, and like, what did that feel like for teachers? I know what it felt like for parents and kids, but what did it yeah. feel like for teachers? <laughs> I mean, I think it felt the same. I mean, ter- ter- terrifying, honestly. Um, but what I will say is the one silver lining of it happening kind of like in March is mm. that what many, many teachers know is that one of the kind of prerequisites to you know running a successful classroom is building relationships with kids. And mm. so teachers had many teachers, most teachers had those relationships that they could call upon when that happened. And so it was like, okay, I'm doing this on zoom now, but I'm still here and you're still there. (laughs) And like, you know, so I think there was a lot of like, we're in this together, you know, teachers to teacher, but also teachers to kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And so teachers are also no stranger to having contingency plans and having to turn on a dime when something doesn't go as planned. That's also, I would say, a prerequisite for the job. And so a lot of teachers just have that like make it work attitude. And a lot of them described, you know, kind of thinking to themselves, okay, I'm going back to the basics. What do I know really matters here? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that really matters here is that my kids are seeing me and they're hearing from me. And even if I can't see them, you know, they know I'm here and I'm trying and I'm reaching. And, you know, that's where you saw a lot of teachers explain, you know, exchanging uh, tips. Like, you know, there's an app called Remind that allows teachers to send out a text message to families and the app will translate it into 
uh, home language that you set on the app. And so like, that's a great tool. And so teachers were saying, hey, have you heard of this? This makes this really easy. <laughs> you know, there were mm. teachers who were saying, I'm going to set up a Zoom social for parents and just invite them to come. Mm. Um, I'm going to set up hours during the, during the evening when parents can contact me and here's my cell phone, <laughs> you know? And so teachers just knew, I think instinctively that that was essential and mm -hmm. like immediately started on that groundwork before they even got to the part where they figured out, okay, but also I have to teach. So, you know, how yeah. am I going to, how am I going to do that? Yeah. It's interesting because parents did really become a much bigger part of the day-to-day -day education process. Yeah. And, and what, what is that like for a teacher? Does the teacher now feel like um, he or she has to speak in both dimensions, uh, uh, teaching parents how to be involved in their kids' academic life day to day, as well as still continuing to make sure that kids hit certain milestones in, in yeah. their academic work. A lot of teachers talk about that. Like, it's awfully strange that I'm now in your living room and you're now in mine, you know, like, and we have this weird bond now <laughs> that, like, <laughs> you know, you can overhear totally. everything I'm saying, you know, yeah. but I honestly think that many teachers would say that it's a net positive that, you know, having that school to home connection is so important. And, you know, while none of us would have wished a pandemic to <laughs> strengthen that bond and, and reinforce that concept, you know, here we are. And I think teachers are making the, the best of it, making the most of it and trying to say, you know, and, and on the parent side, I, I hear this, I've heard a lot of teachers say this, like they're getting more compliments than they've ever gotten <laughs> from parents mm. who suddenly now really know <laughs> what it they're takes. So grateful. Yeah. It's not so easy. <laughs> you know, right. it's actually, it is really hard and the teachers are doing a whole heck of a lot. And so many teachers are working double or triple, you know, the amount that they would in a typical school year. And a lot of teachers are, or a lot of parents are seeing that and recognizing that. Do you hear from teachers a point of view on what platform they per they prefer? We um, we saw some polling that suggested that parents feel comfortable with an in person learning day or a fully digital learning day, but that they don't think that this experience where half the kids are in the classroom and half of the kids are at home learning digitally works very well at all. Do do teachers have preferences? I mean, I don't know that I have enough sort of data to answer that well, but I can definitely see why teachers and parents would push back on the model where you're trying to simultaneously address the kids in front of you and the kids on the screen, because there are a lot of elements about good teaching that are the same, whether you're in person or online, but they don't always look exactly the same. And they mm. certainly can't always happen at the same exact time. <laughs> and yeah. so I do think that that is really challenging of all the kind of models. Like I think some teachers have really embraced the virtual and have said, okay, this is my world now. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to learn yeah. how to do all these things. And, you know, the kids are coming along with them, but then to be asked to also kind of go back into a space where you're then in the classroom, but you also can't get close, right? I think is really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking about that a little, there's a lot being talked about right now about the social emotional health of kids in America. Are teachers able, do they see this? Are they, are they picking up on that? And do they feel like they have what they need to help support kids in those ways? Or is that, are they also identifying that as a big gap? 
I mean, I think teachers have always identified that as a gap and as a need um, and that there just isn't enough sort of like social services within or outside of school to really mm. be focusing on kids' mental health. And the pandemic has obviously just exacerbated that. Um, you know, and it's interesting because I think teachers in some ways are the best person to solve that problem because they know they have the relationships with kids, right? Like, so when a kid isn't showing up, they're just a number to someone in central office downtown, but to a teacher, to some teacher somewhere, they are a known child and the right. teacher is the best person who's going to know their backstory and can have all the clues as to like, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, or, mm -hmm. you know, they're the people who have, they hold all of that information about these kids that we all care about. I think the challenge is just what do teachers need? They need two of themselves then, because <laughs> they need one right. person, one carbon copy of themselves, you know, texting a family and knocking on a door and doing all those things that teachers are doing, but they also <laughs> then are responsible for all the teaching. I think that's where, you know, the, the tension comes in and, I mean, there are ways to solve that. I remember when I was teaching, we had a woman on staff whose job it was to, you know, connect um, families with the services they needed, whether it was mm -hmm. ESL classes or, you know, um, counseling or, you know, wh whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, a winter coat, <laughs> you know, it literally <laughs> translation. It was like all of these things. Right. Um, sure. And so for me, having someone like her to go to and say, okay, I don't have to do this. I have someone who's going to partner with me on this. That was revolutionary. Quite honestly, we were a small elementary school and she was overwhelmed, yes. <laughs> you know, because it was then her job to kind of do all those things. But I, I think that's ultimately um, a solvable problem. But I think it's like, it happens at that like one on one relationship level. And that's time consuming and expensive to replicate, but I think it's really important. Well, let's stay on that for a minute because at the national level, there's a lot of discussion about the supports that the federal government will provide to public education and maybe more broadly than that, even to help with recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. And so in, in Boston, that translates to oh gosh, over $150 million over, you know, kind of two and a half years. And there's also a discussion about how if that is spent one way, we're going to create this huge cliff that in two and a half years, we'll have no more money to, you know, to perpetually spend. But if it's spent in other ways, we really could create a supportive environment and help tackle some of these gaping needs that have just made, been made bigger by, by the pandemic. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've queried teachers on this or not, but I wonder if you as a teacher have a perspective or, or with other teachers with whom we've spoken about what would be most supportive and most useful as we work through to recovery from COVID-19. And also considering that we don't know what the fall is going to bring yet because we don't know, we, there's just a bunch of unknowns. So, but we do know there's going to be a bunch of money. And so, and we know some of these big problems. And so from a teacher perspective, how would you use that funding? Gosh, um, <laughs> I don't know that I have, you know, specific ideas, but I, but I will say that this concept of like, there's a flood of money coming in, but we have to spend it <laughs> is not uh, new <laughs> to, to our industry right. and the teachers. And this happens all the time. And this is when you see like a flurry of like, oh, we're going to get everyone a Chromebook um, once, you know. This was this was race to the top. This right. is no child this left was, behind, right? Exactly. Huge like, amounts of money flood the system right. and then they're gone. So we've been yeah. there before. <laughs> so right. if anything, like 
man, I wish there was a way to not have it feel like this is like a one-time sudden, like do what you can buy, buy everything you can think of and like cross your fingers and hope it lasts a while. You know, it's just, it's such a flawed kind of premise. Mm. Um, You know, (laughs) that being said, I, I think, and this kind of speaks to your question also about what next year is going to look like. I think, and I hope that, that the things that teachers have learned in COVID are not going to be over when COVID ends. I I think that teachers have been through this really rapid cycle of learning. Um, Mm. They're doing things with kids that they thought before, they might've thought would have been impossible. And we've been shown it is possible. And some kids are thriving actually, right? (laughs) In this online environment. And so, and some teachers are, and like for some teachers, this was the nudge they needed to finally check out that ed tech platform that they've been meaning to look at, you know? And, And now they're like, wow, this is awesome. And so I guess when I think about spending that money, I just hope whoever is doing the spending is first of all, having that long view, like what, what's gonna last us here? And then also like including teachers in that decision-making, like please, <laughs> you know, that because teachers are often left out of those types of decisions actually. Right. And I don't, I, I think I mean unions, but also like just, average teachers who can really individual show. teachers in exactly each like the, right. the implementation piece is just so key and we so often skip that and just think like oh well chromebooks is a great idea or this you know new program is a great idea right um yeah, yeah that sounds great you know um but then we've skipped over the people who are in charge of implementing and using it and they're the people who are going to tell you oh it's actually this not that or if i had this thing but not that thing you know, then I can really make a difference. No, that makes sense. But sometimes we hear, you know, that some teachers are faring very well and some kids are faring very well. And I'm wondering if it's, is it that they found innovative ways to use technology that engage their students in the same way that they're, well, not in the same way, but as well as they can engage them in in a physical environment or, you know, what's what's at play there that's making this a very effective teaching platform for for certain kids and certain teachers. Yeah, I guess I would say then that, you know, the way we've been doing school for many, many years has looked the same for many, many years and hasn't really kept up with what we know about how people learn, you know, how they remember, you know, how important it is um, to to take the things that they're learning and put them into use and practice, Mm. you know? And um, there's a lot that can be done with technology. Um, that allows those things to happen much more easily than, you know, in a classroom with a bunch of desks and a bunch of textbooks. And Mm. so I think um, one promising thing that I think we're seeing is, you know, ed tech has always been, well, not always, but it's been around, (laughs) you know, hasn't, this didn't just come up in the last, you know, year, it's been here. And there's been a lot of research and money spent, you know, trying these new tools and testing them and making them really optimized um, for what their purpose is. And so I think, I think teachers are just making use of them now in a way yeah. that before they they couldn't, they didn't have the time, they didn't have the resources. It wasn't a necessity. Um, it was like kind of a nice to have, not a need to have. And when it became a need to have, I think that's where we started to see um, a shift. And to go back to the relationship with the family, you know, in my own experiences and having conversations with a number of schools, it seems like in some ways this has leveled the playing field for family engagement. 
that, you know, I like I pay attention to school committee and the number of attendees who kind of hold on for the whole meeting is much higher when everyone can attend on a virtual platform with translation um, than it was when it was physically in, you know, kind of down in Roxbury. And I, I wonder, does this, does this also extend the day in ways and extend accessibility in ways that that parents who weren't able to access teachers as much just because of time commitments or work or whatever it happens to be now are able to build better relationships with with you know between teachers and parents yes i think the access is huge i i see the same thing with school committee you know where i live and even something like parent teacher conferences we don't yeah. need to slog down to the school at right. night, you know, right. after work at, a, at your allotted time, you know, to right. have your 10 minute conversation and pray that the person in front of you didn't run over. We don't have to do that. You can just press a button from your own home and have the teacher there, you know, and yeah. for us and our family, this was the first year we had extra time in our 15 minute allotment. Um, and it was so lovely because I was like, oh, I really <laughs> can get a little bit more information out of this than I would have in the past. And I think, um, you know, stuff like that. I think um, you know, teachers talk a lot about the their access to professional development and courses. Like they're just able to think so much more expansively now yeah. because it used to be like, well, I could never do that because, you know, I can't go there. But now we've right. learned there's very few things you actually need to physically go to. <laughs> you can still yes. experience them in some way. And so, yes, I do think that's um, been really amazing for teachers to realize like, the world is just so much bigger now and for families, which as we know, is just so critical. Yeah. Now we also have noticed that their kids are either switching schools or they haven't, you know, if they're at the preschool kindergarten level, they just didn't decide families opted, you know, to keep them at home for one more year. So the number of kids who didn't go to school this year. And, and, and as they got older, really, that's, you know, maybe turning into a huge amount of learning loss, which is, I think, going to just impact this opportunity gap um, so much more. How, how are teachers thinking about staying in touch with families and students? What, what, how do they think about the students that we've lost? Or is that really something that administrators should be thinking about? And, and I just wonder what are the strategies for bringing kids back to school or on bat boarding them into school as when we go into school in the fall? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, when this first happened, I remember it's like seared into my memory, this feeling of like the school is going to be closed for two weeks. <laughs> you right. know, and then it was oh, like yeah. six weeks, <laughs> you know, and then that became six months. And now mm. we're talking a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe even into next fall. And so I guess, you know, it, this is where, where we are. I mean, it, it, this, it has to be a solvable problem. We can't just walk away from this, you know, as a society, yeah. like there's just so much at stake here and we've never, you know, really faced something like this in modern times. And so I guess, you know, do teachers think about the kids that are lost? Of course they do. Of course they do. Like in a heartbreaking personal way, you know, and wish yeah. that they could, you know, reach out to those kids. But obviously, you know, the solution here is so much bigger than just teachers. It's like, we have to really commit to everybody playing a part here. What can libraries do? What can K-12, you know, what, what can higher ed um, institutions do? What can researchers offer? <laughs> you know, what can health, community health centers do? Like this just has to be an all out, 
everyone on deck effort. I think the question is who organizes that, <laughs> you know, we don't really yeah. have, I don't know who organizes that, but, but I just feel like there has to be this like kind of big coordination there and teachers are a hundred percent going to play their part, but in the way that in the past, I think we've really looked to teachers to solve it all. We definitely yes. can't do that now. And no, so, absolutely not. Cause there's yeah. some structural things exactly. here that are just completely broken and now very evident. Yeah. And that, so that leads me to ask you a, a different question, which is, are, are teachers just fried? I mean, I, they, they've just had to be in it. Like there was no stepping out in the same way that, you know, folks who work in healthcare couldn't lean out at all. Teachers right. have had to be in it full body yep. and full mind since the beginning. And so how are they feeling? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of that, of course. Um, yes. Teachers are fried. They're burned out. I mean, teaching is a bit of a burnout profession to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, teachers are working double, sometimes triple the amount that they would have normally worked because they're just having to rebuild so much stuff. And like, you think, you know, so much, and and in in their spare time, they're driving to houses and dropping off wireless hotspots and, you know, work packets and things like that for kids who are not showing up on Zooms. Um, You know, but, but I will say (laughs) that what we, what we have noticed quite honestly, um, teachers are just, they're so strong. I mean, we, we just, we just ran two kind of selective um, processes for, to identify some teachers with specific areas of expertise. Um, And we were overwhelmed with the number of applications and we weren't sure. We thought, will teachers like have an appetite? Will they be able to think about one more thing right now, this kind of new leadership role? And we just didn't know. And it turned out that yes, there were quite a few teachers out there who were raising their hand to Hmm. kind of do that extra thing. And to me, that was so heartening (laughs) because I was like, okay, it's not every teacher, you know, who is raising their hand. And of course we get that, but there are some who are now feeling balanced enough that they could look up a bit and say, okay, yeah, I actually do want to, you know, do this new thing or, you know, be part of this group of teachers that thinks about this thing that's exciting to me, that's beyond just survival, (laughs) you know? And that's Um, interesting. Looking out to the summer, because the summer will, I would imagine, have to be used pretty seriously for um, a number of kids to make sure that they make up for or stay where, you know, where they need to be in terms of performance. And so, how, how are teachers thinking about the summer for their kids? How, how should we be thinking yeah. about that? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I haven't necessarily talked so much about, you know, summer with a lot of teachers, but I guess um, to me, I think summer represents an opportunity. Like this is where all the other community members also can come into play you know, what kind of programming can be offered in community centers and libraries this summer. It doesn't have to be teachers mm-hmm. who can staff that. There will be some teachers who will raise their hand for that. Great. Let's find those teachers. And, you know, one of the things that we're working on with a group of teachers right now is, is actually this question is, is working with them to say, okay, so what have you all learned about, you know, remote teaching Um, and how can you make that accessible? All the stuff you've done that's been great. How can you bring that to more kids this summer? And so summer always represents Mm -hmm. an opportunity, you know, like that. Um, But I think we have to just be more expansive in our thinking. It it can't just be the teachers and that's it. (laughs) You know, we have to think broader and more creatively. That's interesting. And do you see, is is this, now that everyone is um, 
pretty familiar with this virtual platform. Do you think that creates some new opportunities to help support students who need additional support? Definitely. And I hope that never goes away. Um, I definitely Mm. think that. And it would be a real shame, in fact, if we just like looked at this as a big experiment that lasted a couple of years. And then, you know, we went back to, you know, you're my teacher and I'm your student and I'm going to sit at this desk for this many hours. Um, I, I absolutely think we need to not go there and do the best we can to capture the learning that teachers have done and get them together to, you know, they're the ones that should be solving that and working out that problem and coming up with like the innovative solution. Um, and so that's what we're right. working on. So Maria, tell me what then the teachers collaborative looks like. Um, what are what are some of the things that you're focused on for the summer? How are you thinking about the next school year? What are your goals and objectives maybe for the next couple of years for the teachers collaborative and for the community that you've really built and are fostering? Yeah, um, I mean, I think we're at that stage in our organizational development where we have a foundation now. You know, we've done that work of building up our credibility we've tried a couple of things, we've done them a few times and we've learned and know, you know, how to do them well. Um, And so the, the move that we've made this spring was really in two directions. So one was thinking about accessibility, like we talked about for kids and families, but, but this time for teachers. So how do we make our programming and, you know, really more accessible to teachers, but also how do we open up those channels so that teachers are able to really exchange information freely on their own. And so that's where the Mm. kind of the educator exchange is what we call our virtual community. So that's where that comes into play. And then, you know, layered on top of that is all these other kind of like access points, whether it's, you know, via our podcast, um, the teacher collaborative podcast. And, you know, we've, we've switched a lot of our events to being on zoom so we can host, you know, Sometimes they're small and that's intentional and great, but sometimes we can have like 200 mm-hmm. people on a Zoom at, at one time. Um, and it's amazing to see because they're teachers and they're awesome. And so they're like using a jam board and then they're on the Zoom and then they're in a breakout room and then they're in a Padlet and then they're back together. And it's like awesome um, because they just like that's know great. how that all works. Um, yeah. And then the other big move that we've made recently, which I'm really excited about is like getting a little bit more intentional about talking about expertise in the field of teaching. And that goes hand in hand with elevating the profession to be something that more and more people want to join. Teachers are so smart. Mm -hmm. They're so innovative. They're so strong. You know, they have to be. But part of that also is them owning their own expertise and saying, you know what, I am good at this. I've worked hard to get better at this. I know how to do this. And so great let's get that teacher or those teachers and say, awesome, how can you share this with more people? And not only just teachers, but how can you share that with the world? You know, I think when COVID hit, we heard a lot of interviews with, you know, doctors and things like that. Where were the interviews with teachers, you know, talking about what learning should look like and teaching should look like, you know, there weren't nearly enough of those. And so that's another thing that we're really thinking about um, changing here in Massachusetts. Yeah, I think I think that's right. We we just started thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, and we haven't really seen all of the innovations that they're using to teach kids in all you know in, in new ways that are very impactful. And it's a really important voice. They're shaping the future of America. 
Um, and so I think those are wonderful things to be focusing on in the future. And, and if folks listening want to support your organization, can you talk about how they could sure. do that? Um, so our website is um, probably the best place to start. Um, it's theteachercollaborative.org. And I'm happy to also share my email address because I love talking to other people about what we do. And so it's just maria at theteachercollaborative.org. Perfect. And we'll put that in the thank blog you. post that goes along with this as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks for just giving us um, a better view into what it's like to stand in the teacher's shoes during this past year. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Maria Fenwick, founder of the Teachers Collaborative. It was interesting to review this past academic year through the experiences of individual teachers. We owe them a great deal of gratitude for giving it their all during these challenging times. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.